All right, welcome and good morning. Yet another Sunday service. It is 9.02 here and it is March 6th, 2022. Welcome all Rebel Preacher. Welcome, uh, PPEOP314. Uh, looks like there's a whopping two people here. Hey, there'll be more showing up. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Brother Marty Leeds. If you want to stop and over to GnosticAcademy.org, you can get all sorts of goodies over there. You can become a member. You can become part of the fellowship if you want to do your tithing over there. If you want to donate to the work, lots of books, podcasts, um, documentaries, music, interviews, um, PDFs to download, you know, all that sort of stuff. A bookshelf, my uh, most of my bookshelf, I have to update it actually, but most of my bookshelf is there in case somebody wants to, you know, on, I don't know, get a peek at what it is I read and that sort of thing or uh, what I've read over the years. That's all there. Ryan H., Mimi M., good morning. Ryan Milliken, Ryan Milliken, you play chess, huh? B. Strutt, what's happening? Judy, or excuse me, Julie Pradal, Doug Roth. Good morning. Thank you all for joining me once again. It's great to see you. Today we're going to tackle um, a subject that I probably should have done on the first episode of this, um, you know, of this series the sermons, the Sunday services, and it's going to be what is Gnosticism. That's what we're going to cover today. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, a lot of really sort of um, misconstrued notions, uh, just, you know, a really sort of a, a, there's a vast ignorance when it comes to what Gnosticism is and uh, what Gnosis is and things like that. And we're going to try to clear the air here today. And that's essentially what it is I do. I try to take a lot of these topics that seem risque or you know, um, the topics that are misrepresented, uh, whether that's, you know, Freemasonry, Kabbalah, numerology, Gematria, Gnosticism. And I try to basically take what you think you know about that, clear the, clear your head, and then try to actually give you real information, you know, things that are verifiable, repeatable, demonstrable, so that you can actually come to these conclusions, not based on a bunch of opinions and conjecture and that sort of stuff that you can actually really understand these things um and a, a lot of these like i said a lot of these topics basically are just they're so misrepresented and um gnosticism is a big one um and i've seen it all over the web i've seen even you know uh, uh we'll get into it we'll get into it um so that's what we're gonna do today what is gnosticism this is the episode nine it's actually episode 10 very confusing we started at zero why because you can't forget the zero it's the placeholder so, uh, number nine. Okay, so let's first start off with a prayer. Uh, this is the prayer for cessation of civil strife. I'm going to change it up just a little bit. Lord Jesus Christ, our God, look down with thy merciful eye upon the sorrow. We're going to cover the eye today, just so you know. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, let me start the prayer over. I shouldn't stop in the middle of a prayer and, and give my little two cents. So, uh, we're going to talk about the merciful eye today a little bit. Lord Jesus Christ, our God, look down with thy merciful eye upon the sorrow and great greatly painful cry of thy children abiding in all lands across this blessed earth. Deliver thy people from civil strife. Make to seize the spilling of blood and turn back the misfortunes set against them. Lead unto sanctuary those bereft of shelter. Feed the hungry. Comfort those who weep and unite the divided. Leave not thine own flock who abide in sorrows on account of their kinsmen to diminish but rather as thou art benevolent give speedy reconciliation. Soften the hearts of the unmerciful and convert them to the knowledge of thee. Grant peace to thy church and to her children, that with one heart and one mouth we may glorify thee, our Lord and Savior, unto the ages of ages. Amen. 
Prayer for civil strife. I thought that was fairly appropriate for the, uh, what's going on in the world today. So let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. And uh, let's pull no punches today. We're not going to be talking about too much like gematria uh, or numerology today. We're not going to be bringing up any astrology. We're not going to be talking about biology and, and, and physiology and that sort of stuff. We're not going to be doing you know really any of that stuff. Really what we're just going to tackle is what is Gnosticism and why is it so important? Christianity, as we're going to come to find, is Gnosticism, ni plus ultra. True, when you understand the Bible and we actually read it with um, this Gnostic approach, it allows you to understand what the Bible actually means. And the reason we see so many of these churches that pick up the Bible every single day and they can't make sense of these stories is because they are not employing the, the process of Gnosis. Okay, we'll cover all of this. Gnosis is... Before we get into actual defining Gnosis, we're going to uh, revisit the fourfold hermeneutic approach. And when we started these sermons, um, this is the thing that I hit on first and foremost. I was like, look, we have to know this. We have to know the, what's, what's, what's considered the fourfold patristic approach, the hermeneutic approach, this approach of biblical exegesis. The, you know, in plain terminology, that just means, hey, um, there's a certain method in which you utilize and you adopt in order to truly understand the different layers of the Bible, okay? Talked about this quite a lot, and uh, let's go to this quick. And this is the fourfold patristic approach, and it's literal, moral, allegorical, and anagogical, okay? Little review, but um, the Hebrews, they have the same thing when they read the Torah, and it's no different when the, with the New Testament, no different, okay? The literal is the literal interpretation. It's basically just simply the story which serves as a vehicle to carry or encode the deeper messages contained beneath the text, okay? The moral is, um, and by the way, lit literal literally means literature. It means you're reading literature, okay? Liter you know, that's what it is. It doesn't necessarily mean you're reading a history book, okay? Literal, that's the first level, okay? Most people get stuck in this level. In fact, I would say this, and I don't even think this is an exaggeration at all. I'd literally say about 99.8% of churches out there get stuck on that level and they don't go any deeper and they refuse to go deeper. Well, we're going to be going deep. Oh boy. I just ripped off Sam Tripoli a little bit there. Literal, moral. The moral level is pretty self-explanatory. There's a moral to a story. Most stories do have a moral. Most good stories have a moral to the story, right? The allegory. We all know what an allegory is. The allegorical level is basically the symbolic and or metaphoric message beneath the story, the riddle, the, the parable, okay? And then finally, we have this bottom approach, the anagogical. And anagogical, the anagogical is dealing with the hidden spiritual essence of the story, okay? Um, it is understood that within the essence, uh, we'll go here. The term anagogical means occult. That's what it means, okay? So this, and uh, that is the most, I would say, this is the most precise synonym and the most concise definition of the word anagogical. It means occult. Occult means hidden, Okay? So this is the fourfold patristic approach. This is the 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 approach that classically anyway church fathers would would utilize in order to once again understand the deeper levels of the holy bible. Now when you get to the the meat and potatoes when you get down to that very bottom level or we could say the high, the top level if you will. Um, the bottom level of those stories what you have is mysticism, occultism, okay? You have esoterica, and we'll cover what all that stuff means, okay? Hidden. That's what occult means. There's hidden messages in there. So, 
Most churches out there, they completely reject this. There's like, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing hidden in the Bible. There's certainly nothing occult in my holy Bible, you know. Au contraire, my friend. Au contraire. The entirety of the thing is occult. And I go so far to say, and I'm not exaggerating, not even one ounce here, that the first letter, the first letter of the holy Bible has an occult meaning. In the beginning, the letter I has a deep, deep occult meaning. Okay? We're not going to cover that today, but I'm just going to put that in your ear holes and let you ponder on that a little bit. Okay? So when we looked at this fourfold patristic approach, right, when we got to that bottom level, that occult level, that anagogical level, you guys can all hear me, right? You're not like, hey, Marty, you're on mute or anything. We're good. Okay, good. Thank you all for showing up. It's actually 99.7%. Ooh, you get me on the math. Good. Thank you. Um, when we get to that anagogical level, that's when the thing really blooms. That's when the thing really opens up. Because when we get to the level of mysticism, when we get to the level of the esoterica or the occult, what is at that level is this, you know, uh, just this bevy, this smorgasbord of, of mystical sciences that are unearthed when we get down there, okay? That's the astrology, the astrological. That's when we covered this, once again, review for most people, right? We get to that anagogical level, that mystical level. There's the astrology there. There's the physio physiology there. There's the geometrical. There's the numerical. There's the natural processes. The natural processes of nature, obviously. Um, alchemical processes. There's processes of transubstantiation of your soul. Of course, we have the moral, the allegorical. There's the psychological, etc., etc., etc. This is when the stories actually bloom. because, And this is what we've done in the last whatever it is, last nine streams, we're like, look, here's, we're going to go line by line through this thing, chapter to chapter, line by line, and we're going to pick apart every single word, and we're going to show you guys that absolutely there's math there, there's geometry there, there's astronomy there, okay? This is how the Bible is supposed to be read. In other words, if you are not bringing to bear on the Bible occultism, you're completely lost, and that's what happens with most churches today, and this is why they're completely lost. In fact, well, I'm at my folks' house right now, and there's a church right, uh, um, it's right across the way, right? And this church, they have this, this big sign, and it says, like, you know, pray for Ukraine. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for a country that's in distress or something like that, but this is a church that's literally just, they're going there, and they're just letting that programming box called the TV just fill their head full of nonsense, and they're just like, yes, we have to do this thing, all my congregation must do, not thinking for themselves at all, Okay. So uh, that's what you'll find out. That's what you'll find in most churches. Uh, unfortunately, that's just the state of Christianity in the age that we live in. But luckily for, um, luckily for us, there's some folks out here that uh, are, are trying to change that. Okay, we're trying to do some edumacating. Okay, so when we look at this anagogical, this is what this is mysticism, and this is really what gnosis is. Gnosis is embracing mysticism. Period. Okay, we'll actually get into the definitions of Gnosticism. We're going to talk about the Demiurge and we're going to talk about all of that sort of stuff. But Gnosis, when, it, when you get down to the brass taxes, the mean potatoes of it, it's embracing mysticism. It's embracing the esoterica. It's looking at the Bible and realizing there are deeper levels of information, deeper levels of wisdom within these stories and I want to know them. I want to know them. Synonyms for mystical, synonyms for esoteric, okay? Mystical, otherworldly, supernatural, magical, occult, spiritual, visionary, anagogic, arcane, ooh, here's one, Kabbalistic, cryptic, enigmatical, esoteric, 
hidden, okay? Magical, metaphysical. This is all of these terms we could absolutely, you know, wrap up under or, you know, put under the umbrella of gnosis, okay? So, um, so what is gnosis? I'm going to read uh, just a little... Well, this might be a long one today, just so you guys know. might go over a little bit, so hope you guys hang out. This comes from my book, uh, The Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. And, um, well, we'll just read it. Uh, Gnosis is a Greek term that means a mystical insight or direct knowledge from the divine. And is where we derive the English word know. So whenever you see the English word know, this is a direct correlation to the Greek term gnosis which means knowledge. Now, true knowledge, true knowledge of where you are, who you are, the nature of God, what you're doing here, where you came from, and where you're going. That knowledge, divine knowledge, true knowledge is gained by communing symbiotically with the universe and is not obtained, as currently believed, by being fluent and well-versed in the certainty of one's own limiting belief system. Wisdom and knowledge are not procured through endless regurgitation of previously confirmed facts, allegedly, by cataloging and analytically dividing nature into scientific specifications and subsections, or by becoming an expert in one's particular field of study. It's not how true knowledge is gained. Gnosis is achieved through understanding wholeness, through meditation on the eternal, by aligning oneself by aligning oneself with the processes, laws, and inner workings of nature, and by allowing oneself to be a conduit for the creative force within creation. And this is the way, and we'll 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 discuss this in just a bit. The way, okay? So this is what Gnosis is. Gnosticism, the Gnosticism isn't a religion. It, Gnosticism isn't something that's like you sign up for uh, I'm an I'm a Gnostic and I'm at the Church of uh, Gnosticism and therefore I get this book and it's full of doctrines and dogmas and I've got to follow these things and this is what Gnostics believe. It, it, when when people repeat that sort of stuff on the web, it, it's you know light all the light bulbs go off in my head. It's like, well, that person has zero understanding of what they're talking about, right? Once again, we should expect that being in the age that we're in. We live in a very ignorant time, okay? Gnosis, the, the Gnosticism is all based on Gnosis, okay? So when I when when we made the church here and I decided to call the church the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, it was very specific. I was like, no, we are a Gnostic church. And this is what Gnosis, and it's all based on this. Gnosticism is based on Gnosis. What is Gnosis, Marty? Gnosis is defined as knowledge of spiritual mysteries. Knowledge of spiritual mysteries. This is what Gnosis is, period. A lot of people will come and they'll, they'll like to shellac or like graft on or like put all this sort of baggage on what Gnosticism really is or what Gnosis is. Well, it's this demiurge thing and they think matter is evil and they don't really believe in an actual God. They believe in this whatever other God here, blah, 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 blah. Once again, all of this sort of naivete or ignorance, I would say, that's grafted onto Gnosis, Gnosticism. When you get down to it, if you just look at the definition, this is what it is. Gnosis is where we get the word no. It comes from knowledge, and it's knowledge of spiritual mysteries, okay? The Greek word, no, the Greek word gnosis means knowledge. So whenever you look into the Holy Bible, any time it says knowledge, any time it says no, it's a reference to Gnosticism. It's a reference to divine knowledge, okay? This is all over the Bible. 
Okay. We have these, um, and we're, I'll go into this, but I just want to mention this real quick and we'll discuss it in just a bit here. This knowledge is given to you. It's given to you. It's a gift. It's an endowment. It's God is like, oh, you're on the path. You've been following the way. You've been, you know, you've been opening yourself up. You went and knocked, right? And you asked, and I will open that door for you. When you are ready, I'll come and be like, okay, you're ready for this knowledge. I'm going to open that door. Did you knock? Did you, were you on the path? Okay. It's given to you. Okay. So this is why when a true um, Gnostic has an incredible amount of humility, okay, you also have to, <laughs> you know, um, you also have to be sort of, a, sort of a warrior because, you know, you, which can come off a little bit arrogant and that sort of stuff. But, of course, because you face so many people that are antithetical to these ideas, you have to be sort of robust in your, you know, your, uh, you have to have some strength and some fortitude and that sort of stuff. But a true Gnostic is insanely humble because he recognizes that anything that I've done has been given to me. It's a gift. It's an endowment. Okay. So let's go back here a second. This is Matthew 13, 10. It's one of the most famous ones, but it's a gift, okay? So you're given this information. Knowledge of spiritual mysteries, okay? This is Matthew 13, 10. This is one of the most famous ones. We'll cover some other ones here. But And the disciples came and said unto him, Why do you speak in parables? Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Matthew 13, 10. He answered, this is Christ, answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you. It's given. You don't go and take it. You don't just like, it's not just like you read all these endless books and next thing you know, you're going to figure it out by yourself. That's not how it works. When you're ready, God gives it to you. And this is Gnosis. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not given. For whosoever hath, for whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. Okay? So, and this is this idea. If there's lots of people. God's not going to give it to you because you actually don't want to understand. You, most people are stuck in being experts in their, where is this? Experts in their limiting uh, belief system, right? They're certain. And, and there was like, well, I, I know Jesus Christ. I know what this is. And I was like, I don't really need to, you don't need to tell me anything about this and this and this. I know, I know. And they don't have a clue. And they're not interested in actually knowing, okay? And for, for God, God's going to be like, um, they, you don't see and you don't hear and I'm not going to give it to you. Okay? So we look at these terms, given, no mysteries. This is, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if there's anything more spiritual than the kingdom of heaven. And he's given to know the mysteries of of the most spiritual place in the world, the kingdom of heaven. This is literally Gnosis defined. Jesus is telling you, hey, if you want to understand my message, you're going to have to employ Gnosis, Gnosticism, knowledge of spiritual mysteries. It is given unto you to knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? It's all over. The Bible, right? This is Mark 4.11. This is just a few examples, right? You can find this sort of idea, you know, literally peppered all through the thing. He um, And he said unto them, unto you it is given. Do you take it? No, you earn it. It's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. 
kingdom of God, the most spiritual thing you could possibly understand, his kingdom. Luke 8, 10, and he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Once again, that they seeing they might see and hearing they might not understand. Romans 16, 25, Christ uh, says, in the, you know, uh, now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret. It was occulted. It's hidden since the world began. Well, this is the first line of revelation. This is the first line of revelation. Revelation 1, 1. Right? The revelation of Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about revelations a little bit, which God gave. It was a gift. He gave it to him. He's like, oh, you're ready. You prepared yourself. You walked that path. You were righteous and noble and virtuous and you, and you had love and you called out evil. Right? And you were going to do whatever it took to actually follow this truth, even if it meant persecution and hatred and that sort of stuff. You were going to do it. Okay? This, take, once again, takes fortitude and strength because you get lots of hate for doing this sort of stuff. Like I said, I've said this many times. The most hate I think I've ever got online is from Christians. Why? Because what I'm essentially doing, not, not to try to um, piss them off or anything like that, but I'm, I come along and I'm like, look, I'm going to have to pull that rug out from under you. Okay? And they don't like that. Okay? The revelation of Jesus Christ, it's a revelation. It's this moment of like, oh, aha, epiphany kind of thing, which God gave unto him. Okay, and he bear the record of the word of God. So uh, gnosis is a mystical experience in which one um, gnosis is a mystical experience in which one has an experience and brings back higher divine knowledge from this experience. Okay, um, how many we got watching here? Ninety six watching. That's good. That's eight feet. Yeah, the opposite, agnostic, not knowing. Ooh, Kitridge, yes. Yeah. So, um, so there you go. So, um, and I've experienced this, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this, about basically, you know, uh, having an experience and bringing back higher levels of wisdom, things that I didn't even know existed. And, and then I was like, it happened, and I was like, whoa, uh, what? <laughs> what was that? Okay, mystical experiences, um, and this this is this is mentioning this is a a scientific study on hallucinogens, right, and stuff like that. Well, now, um, not that I have anything necessarily wrong with hallucinogens and stuff like that. I do have an issue though when people go to hallucinogens for their spiritual experience, like particularly, right, as if they need some external thing that they take in, and next thing you know, they're like, wow. But you can have this experience with um, hallucinogens, but. It doesn't matter if you have that experience. Gnosis is not just having the experience. That's not what it is. Gnosis is having the experience and then bringing something back from it. So lots of people that are, you know, that are completely deluded and, and completely lost souls, they'll have these sort of mystical experiences and then they don't bring anything back from it, right? Which actually, you know, that sort of thing so that they can take it into the world and, and see with new eyes and that sort of thing. And then they just keep going back and then taking drugs. And it's like, well, that's completely off the course. Completely, you know, you're, you're, you're totally missing the mark, right? So regardless, a mystical experience in general is this. It's those particular or peculiar, excuse me, states of consciousness in which the individual discovers himself to be one continue, pro, continuous process with God, with the universe. 
You have this experience when you realize, you're like, oh my God, there is no separation. There is all oneness with this thing. There's no way I can, and ultimately it comes to this great revelation that you have that you cannot be separate from God, okay? You discover that, and this is, this is what Christ is saying when it's like, I and my Father are one. That's what he's saying. It's a completely Gnostic, um, uh, ex, uh, you know, um, what am I trying to say? It's a, it's a Gnostic phrase is what he's saying. He's like, but I am one with my Father. So are you. And the, this Gnostic experience is just like, oh, okay, yes, you experience it, right? But once again, it's not just experiencing it. It's saying, oh, we're going to experience this, and then I'm going to give you something from it, okay? Um, so there's that. And this is really, um, and this is this what happens when you get in the way, when you get in this, uh, what was, uh, what do you say, it's like flow state. I think that's what... Uh, uh, chance at Interverse podcast. He said it was kind of like that. It's like this flow state that you get in, right? Where you get these these insights and these epiphanies and you have these synchronicities and these aha moments and these little magical, miraculous things that happen. You're like, whoa, what the heck? Where did that come from? That creative flashes, divine inspiration, revelations. This is what it means to reveal, all right? You know, and that sort of sense. Revelations. This is the what's known as mystically as the Tao. It's the way. It's the ever-flowing way of creation. Okay, And this is what you want to get on. You want to get on that way. And this is what Jesus was saying is that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am this way. When you get on this way, you will find the truth of all things and you will also find eternal life. This is, what, this is the cryptic nature. Once again, when we talk about um, these synonyms, this is, you know, this is the cryptic message within there. This is the metaphysical message. This is the mystical message. This is the hidden message. This is the occulted message that's within what Jesus is saying. Now, most people stick on the level of the literal. And so they're just like, yes, Jesus, see, I follow him, this guy that lived 2,000 years ago, having no idea that they're actually talking about something that's alive and well within the here and now. So they get stuck on this upper level and they don't understand the anagogical. Okay? This is the way, and the way is, um, it's, it's a classic mystical notion, right? The Tao. Um, the Tao, the way, is the core and essence of Taoism and the major theme of the Dei Tao Ching, the oldest and most important classic on Taoism. There was a, there was a period in my life where I, I kept picking up, it was like I would read the Dei Tao Ching, I think I probably did it maybe like, three, I don't know, three, four years in a row or something like that, but I would read it every single year to see if I could understand it anymore. You know, like I could understand it further. Um, it can be described as the idea of the primordial natural law. There's a law within nature. Who created that law? God, on which all of the universe has been given its shape and its mechanics. What is that? Its shape, its mechanics, its functions, its order. That's logos. Different terminologies to talk about the exact same thing. Also, this law keeps on ruling how all things in the world behave. Once again, this is Logos. This is the order of creation. Okay? So. <clears throat> okay. Good. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, 
let's move on. Now, once again, people assume that when you say you're Gnostic, so you read the Gnostic Bible or you read the Apocrypha or you re you're, you're into the Nagmati scriptures or something like that. And it's like you reject, and you know, it's like, pe this is the assumptions that people have. It's like, no, I, I just read the Bible. <laughs> like, not that I have any issue with the Apocrypha or any of these sorts of things, not at all. And actually, we'll find that true, uh, true Gnostic embraces all the great traditions, right? Because they see past the limitations of the literal. We can see past these the doorway, all right? And we can open, you know, we can see, we can knock, if you will. God's opened that doorway and see the transcendental, okay? So, um, once again, an assumption, just basic, basic ignorance. Gnosticism is the belief that the human being contains a piece of God the highest good or a divine spark within themselves. This is pretty, um, once again, if you forget about the Holy Bible or any other religious scripture out there ever, right? Um, and just look at nature itself. When you see a human being, you see the spark. The, the, there's something in them. There's electricity that enlivens them and makes them animated. And have you ever seen a, a dead body, right? When you go to a funeral or whatever, that spark is obviously gone. Well, what happened to that spark? where to go, okay? That spark, the thing that enlivens and actually animates the human being is directly from God. That's what it is, okay? So Gnosticism is, you know, is the belief that the human beings contain a piece of God. Well, Christianity is all about that. What do you think you're doing with that energy? You're trying to bring it home. You're trying to reach salvation, eternal life, okay? So there's, there's, a, there's a piece within you that's divine, okay? which has fallen from the immaterial world, the spiritual, metaphysical, beyond the physical world into human bodies. That's what's happening to you right now. What do you think the fall of man is? I mean, this is, we're essentially reading Genesis right here, okay? But for some reason, lots of Christians be like, Gnosticism has nothing to do with Christianity. What? Okay. All physical matter is subject to decay, rotting, and death. This is the incorruptible way down here. This is the, or excuse me, the, sorry, I said that incorrectly. This is the corruptibility down here. That everything flows, everything moves, everything is passing, everything gets gone down here. Nothing stays, right? The only thing that stays is the metaphysical, okay? So this is essentially, once, once again, another definition of Gnosticism. There's no issue here, okay? This, really, there should be no conflict with a Christian and Gnosticism. They're one and the same, as we'll say, as we'll see. So this comes from the, um, the Freemasonic uh, Encyclopedia. The general name of Gnostics has been employed to designate several sects that sprung up in the eastern parts of the Roman Empire about the time of the advent of Christianity. Although it is supposed that, supposed, once again, whenever you read about, not this, once again, even from the, the Freemasonic Encyclopedia, you'll, you'll get a lot of Allegedly, supposed, the opinion is of this, that's what you'll read a lot, okay? Because when if you don't experience Gnosis, if you don't actually pursue it, then it's, you just have conjecture, you just have opinions, and usually they're based on ignorance, okay? Although it is supposed that their principal doctrines had been taught centuries before, in, in other words, what they're basically saying is what Gnosis is actually, what Gnosticism and people that pursue gnosis what they're actually teaching is etern eternalities transcendental truths anyone knows that the doctrines of god were there at the very beginning and they were there before the beginning okay 
Um, the word Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis or knowledge and was a term used in the earliest days of philosophy to signify, to signify the science of divine things or superior or celestial knowledge. God has a science. This is what my book, Lord Jesus Christ, is all about. I go and I show that there are scientific principles encoded, encrypted, occulted, arcanely put within the anagogical nature of, of you know, uh, of the, the stories and the names and stuff like that. You know, specific, you know, specific measurements, squaring the circle, the doubling the cube, you know, a whole 550-page book exploring the science. Now, if you go to most churches today and be like, hey, did you know that your Holy Bible is scientific? If you, if you, <laughs> that there are provable things that are crafted within the, once again, the layers of the Bible, most Christians would probably throw you out on your ass. Like, what are you talking about? You know, no, there's science there. The, once again, this is what it says. Um, the favorite opinion, the favorite opinion of scholars is that the sect of Gnostics arose among the philosophers who were the converts of Paul and other apostles and who were sought to mingle the notions of Jewish-Egyptian school, the speculations of Kabbalists, once again, same synonyms we're talking about here, and the Grecian and Asiatic doctrines with the simpler teachings of the new religion which they had embraced. It's actually not a new religion. What they were doing was understanding transcendental truths. That's what a, that's what a Gnostic does. Um, they believe that the writings of the apostles enunciated only the articles of the vulgar faith. Um, and we're going to talk about how the reason most people can't understand what the what some of these terms and things like that that are thrown around that are related to Gnosticism, the reason they can't understand them is because they're looking at it with exoteric eyes and you can't do that. You have to look at it through esoteric eyes. In other words, the reason most people can't understand some of these ideas within Gnosis is because they're looking at it from a literal point of view, an exoteric point of view. And they've abandoned the moral, they've abandoned the allegorical, and they've abandoned all of the anagogical. And so then they look at these ideas and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. This is completely antithetical to Christianity. <clears throat> wrong. Completely wrong. Okay? As we, as we just read, Luke and Romans and Matthew and Revelation. Okay? Um, but they were esoteric traditions. Esoteric traditions, if you, if you try to understand it exoterically, you're never going to get any ground. You're never going to gain any ground, okay? Uh, $5, here's the truth, Marty. Thank you, Andrew Mason. Thank you so much. Um, which have been transmitted from generations. These esoteric trans, uh, traditions have been transmit, uh, transmitted from generation to generation in mysteries. It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which they gave the name Gnosticism or Gnosis. So it's eternal wisdom caught up, eternal knowledge caught up in esoteric traditions about the mysteries. That's what Gnosticism is, okay? Completely in line with everything Christ taught, down to the words he used. Um, towards the Manichaeans, the most prominent offshoot of Gnosticism, the Templars, once again, the Gnostic rites of the Mithraic cave, the stonemasons of the Middle Ages, the Hermetic philosophy, the Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry. What a Gnostic does is, just as I said, they embrace all the great traditions. They take all of these, they, they, they look at all of the mystical traditions 
and they, 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 they don't say, oh, no, 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 no. They say yes. We'll, we'll see that in just a second, okay? Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis. Um, Eastern influences. Once again, people's like, Eastern, this is, uh, you know, whatever. This is, um, this is uh, what, what do I want to say here? Um, you know, that's all, that's all the Eastern religions, the pagan religions over here, but this and this. The people coming along trying to divide, make divisions and put things in boxes, something that is eternally whole. Gnostic wipes all that clean and realizes there's a big circle and it embraces everything. And that circle is symbolically, metaphorically God. Okay? It's a blanket term for a very broad and complex group of beliefs. Okay? And it's this idea that only knowledgeable people could be saved and go to heaven. Once again, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to others it is not. What is Jesus saying? There's, I'm giving you knowledge about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you get into the kingdom of heaven because you have the knowledge. Nothing, no issue here. If you read the Bible and you actually understand what Christ is saying there, he's actually telling you, you're not going to get into heaven unless you embrace gnosis. Gnostics embrace all the great traditions. You know, we you know I have the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Quran. I have the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I have the uh, I don't have the Mahabharata. I ordered it and it didn't show up. I have the Bhagavad Gita. I have the Holy Bible. Right. I have all of these different texts. Right. Um, and what the Gnostic does, and we'll talk about this quite a bit, is once again sees through the literal layer of all these things and realizes that at the core, at the bottom of all these traditions is transcendental truths. Okay? So what most Christians will do is be like, well, if you, you, Christ is the way, and they're understanding it in a literal sense, period. They, they've abandoned everything underneath there. Everything. The morals, the allegory, the, the astronomy, the, 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 everything. They've essentially abandoned. It's like, no, it's this way. When really the way is that circle. Christ is the circle. And it embraces all of these things. Okay? This is what I talk about quite a bit. Um, in uh, Once again, plug for my book, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in, I do a whole uh, chapter called The Sun God Myth. Who is this king of glory? where I show all of these sun gods, and many authors have done this before. This is nothing new. Um, in fact, when you read mystical traditions, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, the Mithraic rites, all that sort of stuff, this is the kind of stuff that you'll get from it. It's like, oh no, they're all pointing to the same thing. There's these terms, there's these languages, there's these different, it's couched in all these different sort of notions, but when you get past that barrier, what you find is the transcendental, and that's what we seek. Okay? Um, another thing I show is, you know, there's the Om symbol, right? And the in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And this is this vibratory essence that God spoke light at the beginning of creation. It was like, Om. Now, if you said, hey, guess what? The, the Hindu Om is literally the exact same thing as Jesus Christ, the Word. Most people would flip their lids, Right? But at, when you get down to it and you say, well, what, what are they actually saying? What is this thing? Well, it's this vibratory essence that in the beginning God spoke and created all of creation. You mean like let there be light? What's the difference? The only difference is somebody came along and said, nope, 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 nope. 
this is over here and this is over here. This is separate from this and this is separate from this. And what Gnosticism is, what a, Gnosis, what a Gnostic experience is, is recognizing the wholeness of the whole thing. And when you realize the oneness of the whole thing, then you can penetrate those barriers and be like, no, 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 no. No, no, they're all talking about the same thing. When you, the truly great traditions, that is, okay? Okay, so let's uh, watch me watching me. This will be very meta. This is a uh, just a clip that I did. This is going to be a long stream, probably another 45 minutes or so. Um, this is uh, Chris Petkow is this guy. Um, I had a conversation with him. He's like kind of into orthodoxy and stuff like that. But he's sort of on his own trip. He's trying to figure out, you know, just like we all are, trying to figure out what's going on in the world. And so let's watch this. Please let me know if this doesn't, uh, if you can't hear this. The reality is, unfortunately, that like, the Orthodox, they think they got it. The Catholics, they think they got it. The, the Protestants, they think they got it. The Masons, they think they got it. And I think part of what you're trying to say is like, yes. <laughs> Not no, yeah. but yes. You're trying to say, yes, yeah. you all do. <laughs> yes, in a sense, this is, and, I, and I, this is how I explained it. I'm glad you said it like that because this is how I explained it. There's so many people that walk out in the world and they're like, no, 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 no. But the mystic or the Gnostic approaches say, yes, 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 yes. You know, there's a few things that I think that I, that I personally like, you know, uh, that a mystic or that I like my, you know, like my, my bud, Amor Russell, he's the same sort of thing. It's like a Gnostic approach is number one, you, you don't reject other religions. You know, it's not like you go around and be like, ah, oh, you're you're Hindu or Muslim or this, and so therefore you're going to burn in eternal Hades or whatever the heck it is. You know, those are your brothers. No matter yeah. what the religion is, those are your brothers. And Christianity, that is the core tenet of Christianity as far as I ever, before I'd even got into Christian mysticism and all this other stuff. That's like one of the fundamentals of Christianity is that all are your brother. You know, every, everybody, and you're you're commanded to love all and commanded to love your neighbor and commanded to love even your enemy. So the first thing to do is to look at all the traditions, the religions of the world and not reject them. Realize, I think, realize that there's something transcendental within all of them. And when you really get to the core, there's something that is beyond the divisions, clearly. And so that would be an approach that I think is not shared by a lot of Christians, which I think is absurd. Um, a Gnostic also do, looks into the Bible and realizes that there are great mysteries within it, that there's layers upon layers and that there's symbolism and that there's astrotheology, that there's great, there's um, great philosophies within their parable, riddle, allegory, blah, 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 of course. But richer than that, that there's, as I do, there's mathematics in there. There's, you know, and a, that whole spectrum, as far as I've come to understand, and one of the reasons I've even been offline lately too, is completely rejected. Completely. Right. And this is the issue. Let's get back to this fourfold patristic approach. Okay. We have that literal and there's all of this stuff underneath. And the very tools you would need to unlock all of those mysteries, you know, employing alchemy, hermeticism, astrology and astronomy, understanding that the human body is a reflection of the stars above, numerology and gematria and ge geometry, all of those stuff, all of that stuff, the, 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 the modern churches reject all of it. They literally throw it out and they're like, that's all devil worship. And the very... The very, you know, the patristic approach, this, this biblical exegesis, the classic method is telling you, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? A Gnostic doesn't go to church on Sunday. Might go to church on Sunday. Don't give me like uh, to, to mention Amor, right? Like Amor is um, uh, he was you know he's been I think a Rosicrucian. He's been a Freemason. You know he's he's, he's done Course of Miracles. You know he's been sort of he's been sort of all over and, and read all sorts of mystical texts and stuff like that. Do you know what he'll do? Like he was, the last time I talked to him he was like yeah we just I think he said he went to a Mennonite church or something like that. Not to like go and sign up at the Mennonite church. He just goes and prays with them. That's what you're supposed to do. So, a Gnostic doesn't go to church on Sunday. His life is a walking meditation on Christ, on the eternal. Okay? Once again, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Do you get to go and open the door yourself? Nope, you don't. You'll never open that door unless God opens it for you. And you're never even going to... You know, and that's never going to be opened unless you go and ask the questions. Most people don't ask the questions about what are the deeper meanings of this story? What, what, is, the, what is the mystical, what is, you know, what is the allegory I can take from this? How do I embrace these, these ideas in my own life? What's the deeper messages here? They reject most of it. Okay? So, um, I'm going to read this. This comes from the Peacock's Tales once again. Um, self-centered as it may sound, the question that I consistently asked throughout my investigation into the universe was, what does all this have to do with me? Sounds self-centered, but at the end of the day, this is the question you must ask yourself. Why am I here? What am I doing here? Where am I, where did I come from? Where am I going? What is the purpose of earth? What is my purpose? You know, what is the meaning of life and what is the meaning of my life? Okay. It's not self-centered, it's centering the self is what you're doing, okay? Through my own personal experience with number, years of pursuing a personal philosophy and a certain line of thinking, which was op ultimately opening up to all this stuff, I saw many correlations between theology, mythology, philosophy, and the sciences. These subjects did not seem like separate entities, but rather different aspects of an interwoven whole. I had no set beliefs going into my pursuit. I wasn't agnostic, atheist, Christian, Muslim, or Jewish. I, I was not and am not a Freemason or a member of any sort of secret society or brotherhood. I'm not, uh, I don't consider myself Democrat or Republican. I'm not specialized in any particular field of research. The only thing I will say is that for many, many years, I was completely open-minded and pondered deeply upon all the information I would accrue and gather. Moreover, my goal was not to induce my own wild theories and opinions on the world, but instead to deduce the answers from the essence of the universe itself. In short, I was searching for Gnosis. Okay? And when you realize that Gnosis is the recognition of, e of eternal oneness, this is monotheism. People think monotheism is like, oh, these, these three Abrahamic faiths, which apparently don't agree with one another, they all have the same, they're all monotheistic, which means one God. This, once again, when we understand this esoterically, this is wholeness, totality, unity, and oneness. So it's like, which, which one is it? Is it Christianity or is it, is it Judaism over here? Is it Muslim? You know, Islam, Islam over here? Is it Taoism? Is it he, blah, blah, blah? No. The Gnostic realizes that um, they embrace all the great traditions. I don't even know where the graphic is. You get it. Okay? That's right here. 
No, true God is one. There is no God of the Muslims or the this group here, this group there. It's only God. That's it. And all of these traditions are people trying to understand that one God. And a lot of them botching it, as we see, terribly. Okay? So let's look at Christianity. If, if you know, why are there all these denominations of Christianity? Does it make any sense? It's just like, you know, I'm, I'm part Irish, right? And you go to good old Ireland over there, the good old island. They have like the Protestants and Catholics, right? <laughs> that sort of thing. So, and they, so they read from the same book. They're on the same island. They speak the same language. They worship the same dude. And there's the Protestants and Catholics and they can't get along. What? I guess you guys don't understand oneness at all, right? So you have all of these different denominations of, of Christianity, Angl Anglicanism, Eastern Orthodox Church, the Greek, you know, Pentecostalism, Protestantism, Lutheranism, Evangelical, the Catholics, the Anabaptists, the Methodists, the, you know, the Calvinists, the Baptists, you know, the Presbyterians, you know, the, the, the Evangelical, Lutherans, the United Methodists, the Assemblies of God, the Southern Baptists, the Northern Baptists. I don't even know if there's Northern Baptists, but you get it, right? Seventh-day Adventists. Why? Why? And you know what? Every, every single one, every single one of these traditions refutes the true anagogic, esoteric information within the Bible. Every single one. You know why none of these traditions truly understand it? Because they all reject Gnosis. They all reject the very path, the very thing that Christ is saying in order to get into heaven. They reject it. Well, um, he answered it because I'm going to give you the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you spiritual knowledge. The process is, is Gnosis. And all of these traditions reject it. Every single one. They reject all of the mystical uh, sciences within them. They reject the, astro the astrology and the astronomy, the biology, the, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Of course, gematria and numerology. Once again, can you name one church that would say, hey, there's, there's numerology in the Bible, which just basically means there's mathematics, which is science in the Bible. They reject it. Why? Because they follow men. They follow religious authorities. There's Greg Locke there and then a couple uh, PDF files out there. <laughs> Popes, I'm a conduit for, for God. Really? And why are you driving around in that car that's all bulletproof and stuff like that? I mean, what, are you scared of going to heaven? <laughs> then what's this guy's name in the lower left-hand corner? That guy? He's hilarious. Uh, Pat Robinson, Joel, Joel Osteen, all these all these cats and characters. People put their trust and their faith in men to explain the Bible to them. And the, all of these people are teaching you what? The literal. And they're rejecting what? The anagogical. They're teaching you exoteric, exotericism when the entirety of the Bible, according to Christ himself, his messages anyway, are completely esoteric. Gnostics... <sighs> Put their trust in God, not man. Middle verse of the Bible, I've said this numerous times. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. 
smack dab in the middle of that holy bibble there, they tell you, it's like, do not put your trust in faith in these people. How many people, now once again, there's no, nothing wrong with going to church and, and, and praying with people or, you know, some people that's extremely necessary. For me, not, not so much. But it's extremely necessary to have that place, the temple you can go to, to be with people, to commune with them. It's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But how many of those people go and sit in those pew, pews and then they, 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 they say, oh, this guy's going to teach me the Bible. This guy's, and what do you say? Oh, this, okay, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then you get people year after, and then they go from one church and they leave that church because like, I'm not getting fulfilled spiritually. Just you're not answering things. I'm not getting that spiritual nourishment. And then they go to this church and they're like, well, you guys got it. You guys got it. And then they, they, you know, and then even esotericists do this as well. I think, I think Amor would probably agree that even he has probably undergone this where he's like, well, maybe I'll go to this group over here, Rosicrucianism, and they'll have it. Or maybe I'll go to this. And finally you get to the point where you realize it's like, like I said, oh, oh, they all have a piece of it. No, not no, 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 not no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Embrace wholeness. Okay. Um, this is the appeal to authority. It's a, it's it's a logos fallacy. It's a logical fallacy. It's a logos fallacy. It's appeal to authority. This guy's got the answer. I'll go to him. A man. No, you get your answers from God, and they are gifted to you. So Christianity has, modern Christianity has tragically fallen away. This comes from Lord Jesus Christ, I believe. Yes, it should be. Modern Christianity has tragically fallen away from understanding its mystical and occult foundation and has lost connection with the sacred science beneath it. For many Christian contemporaries, anything deemed occult or mystical seems to be branded with the harshest claims of Satanism and demon worship. Okay? And if you guys want a little taste of that, go watch the conversation I had with Brother Augustine, where he was literally like, you've got devils in you. And I'm just like, well, there's stuff, there's hidden stuff in the Bible, just like your tradition teaches. Devil worshiper. <laughs> it's like literally completely off the course. Not even close, but wraps himself up in Christianity. I'm a man of Christ. You're, you are so far off the path. For many Christian contemporaries, anything deemed occult or mystical seems to be branded with the harshest claims of Satanism and demon worship. From such often completely unfounded, uneducated, and wildly ignorant assumptions, belief systems are often formed. And that's exactly what all of these denominations are. They're, it's not the way, the truth, and the life. It's a bunch of belief systems. And they're formed, solidified, and cults are made out of them. It's just a fact usually coupled with extremely stringent dogma, okay? Anything that deviates from the historical, literalist view of the Bible is considered born from the devil himself. This is one of the key issues found within the modern practice of Christianity. This insular thought is the key component that destroys any search for true erudite or mystical esoteric meaning within the gospel. The esoteric is stripped away, and what is left is the husk, the shell, the skeleton of exotericism having the heart of the mysteries torn out almost entirely. Okay? And so what a Gnostic does is, once again, sees through the barrier, sees through the veil, okay? And sees that there's, oh, there's the transcendent there. If I can see through this exoteric shellac, this little, you know, one coat of 
primer, <laughs> one coat of paint on there. If I can see through that, oh, there's a wall behind there. That's a terrible metaphor, but you get what I'm saying, right? Sees the transcendental in Christ. Okay? And here's a, here's a good way to explain this, okay? So, um, I'm going to use a linguistic metaphor here, okay? So somebody's going to come along and be like, well, my God's septum. My God's septum. He's like, he, obviously, this is the one true God. Is the way, the truth, and the life is septum. No, it's not. It's set. Sete is, is the God, right? No, it's siete. That's the, that's the true one God. That's the God I, I worship is siete. No, it's siju or whatever. I think that's uh, Swedish, right? That's the one true God. That's the one that I follow, and that's the one that's going to bring me to heaven. And how dare you tell me it's septum? No, it's seven. That's the true God. No, it's actually seven. That's the true. No, it's sept. That's the one. When really, what are all of those things? Different expressions to talk about what? Something that's transcendental, available to all people, universal, never going anywhere, in, uh, literally indestructible. You're, you're not going to, once again, go down Highway 666, take exit 33, go down to the Shell Station, make a left, go to the Arby's, make another left, and you're going to go down and going to find the magical material number seven. There it is. No, it's a metaphysical truth that's everywhere at once. And what happens is somebody comes along with their language or their belief system or their holy book, whatever, and says, no, it's this one. It's septum. No, it's siete. No, it's seven. It's none of them and all of them. And the truth sits in the middle and knows. <sighs> we don't need to go into that. This is what Kabbalah is. Kabbalah is to receive knowledge. Kabbalah, this is why when somebody says Kabbalah has nothing to do with Christianity. Sorry, gonna have to pop that bubble for you there. Kabbalah means, and I have a whole chapter on, in Lord Jesus Christ, about 100 pages on Kabbalah, how Christ embodies and embraces Kabbalah and what it is, okay? And all, once again, complete, uh, uh, you know, uh, just mi completely misconstrued what Kabbalah is. Most people come to it and it's like, isn't that Jewish mysticism? Yeah, the Jews have their version of it, sure. Absolutely. But it's not demon worship or conjuring up devils from the netherworld or anything like that. Kabbalah means this, received. Kabbalah is defined as that which is received. God gives you information. You open up, and if you're if you're prepared, and you've done the study, and you've 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 done the meditation, and the, and you've busted your ass, and you've been virtuous, and you've made you know you've corrected your mistakes, and you try to get on that path, and you're going, I'm like, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna knock, I wanna know, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna wanna know, and you're gonna knock for freaking 10, 15 years, and not one single door may be opened up to you. But when God does open the door, holy shnikes, it's a freaking deluge, okay? The tradition of Kabbalah ultimately purports that there is knowledge that one cannot grasp or know purely through engagement in the scientific method, nor be gotten through mere intellectual pursuit. You're not going to gain this knowledge by reading endless books. You have to do the study, but ultimately it's going to be given unto you. The knowledge that attains to God is one that defies logic, yet it's su supremely logical. What I mean there is look at Gematria. I've been dealing with Gematria for over, what, 12 years now or something like that? And I'm still like, what? How is this even possible? Yet I can get the exact same, you know, not I, anyone can get the exact same results 100% of the time. Yet it's like, this is crazy mystical metaphysical stuff. So the knowledge that attains to God 
is one that defies logic, yet is supremely, lo supremely logical. It's rational, yet irrational simultaneously. It's, it is so, verifiably so, and yet unbelievably so. The tradition of Kabbalah exclaims that man may receive gifts of wisdom, insights, verities, epiphanies, and divine knowledge directly from God himself. Hence, Kabbalah being defined as receiving. And once again, when we go right back to these, um, these synonyms, mystical, metaphysical, esoteric, arcane, Kabbalistic. Okay? The true Kabbalist in whom God is pleased does not seek power, control, or domination over anyone or anything. He recognizes his ultimate union and oneness with God and how nothing may ever be separate from the Supreme Being. And hence to cause harm here is to cause harm to God himself. The true Kabbalist seeks but one thing in this world and that is his ultimate reunification with God. And that's what that's what that's the core of Christianity. You're supposed to seek eternal life. That is reunification with God. The Kabbalist wishes to hear one thing when his long and tiresome journey on earth ends and he finally passes through the gateways of death, and that is for God to announce to him, Welcome, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Okay? Uh, for, for to one is given by the spirit of the word of wisdom. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, and these are these, uh, in fact, Amor just mentioned this, I think, two videos ago, one last video, not sure. Um, these are the like gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? For one is uh, given, it's a gift. You receive it by the Spirit of the Word of Wisdom. To another, the Word of Knowledge, Gnosis. To another, the gifts of healing. And then, then it, it uh, was one Corinthians. What is this? One or twelve? Twelve. It says this. For as the body is one, just as we're saying, there's oneness, wholeness, monotheism. This is what it is. People want to say that, oh, the, 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 the Hinduism is different. It's, 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 the, 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 when you get to, once again, when we get to the transcendental truths within them, they are all talking about the same thing. Hinduism has nothing to do with the Norse stuff, and the Norse stuff over here has nothing to do with Taoism, and Taoism certainly doesn't have to do with Buddhism, and Buddhism, Buddhism has nothing to do with my Christ. <clears throat> Wrong. Wrong. It's oneness. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And then people say, no, you're not part of the body of Christ. You're not part of this over here. Oh, those heathens over there, or they're not part of it. Yeah, they are. Now, once again, this terminology of Christ same, no different. The term Christ is an English word that's over here. Might as well be the seven there. What are we actually talking about? We're talking about the transcendental truth behind the whole thing. Now, I will say this. As far as Kabbalah is concerned, as far as these gifts of gnosis, right? These gifts, these endowments, these receiving. I can, this once again comes from Lord Jesus Christ. I can personally attest to... I think this comes from Lord Jesus Christ. I can personally attest to such claims as I've been a recipient of such gifts. And for me, there could be no other way of explaining it. Look, I ain't that smart. Or at least, you know, maybe I've gained wisdom over the time because God has given it to me. But, you know, I've had my head squarely up my sphincter for many, many years, right? I'm not some genius guy that just, you know, no. 
right? I did the work and received these things and I can't take credit for it. The whole of the work that I put forward within the text you are holding certainly cannot be possessed by me, nor was invented by me, nor has it been created by me, but rather the entirety of the work that I have offered to the public has been undoubtedly a collection of epiphanies, flashes of inspiration, and offerings from on high that I certainly cannot take the credit for inventing or creating. The only answer that is reasonable and makes sense is that I was graced enough and rewarded enough in my own spiritual journey that God saw fit to bestow those revelations upon me. I simply was there and prepared myself enough through the years of tempering my own spiritual sword to receive such wisdom. If honest with himself, every good songwriter and poet knows that the best songs or poems were given to him, not written by him. I call it being a stenographer for the Lord. Okay, um, what's her name? The, the Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Lauren, I don't know if you know that uh, she was part of the Fugees, early 90s, mid 90s band, something like that. She was on, uh, she was being sued for, I don't know, like, I, if it was one of her songs or whatever. And she was on the, she was, you know, put her hand on the Bible and she was in court and stuff like that. And they asked her, there was this like, well, where, you know, where did you, where did you come up with these songs or whatever? And her, and her response was, God gave them to me. It was something like that, right? And a lot of people laughed at this. Like, oh, don't you think you're responsible? Like, I was like, but if you're honest with yourself, every song that I've written that's been that I'm like, oh, that's a good song. Like, I've written, you know, pardon my language, but hot steaming piles of shit. Several of them, right? But some, some of the songs I've written have been very, very good. And when I was writing them, it was a flow state. It was like, it was like you weren't even there. You were just like, oh, I'm just got to do this. I'm just a stenographer for the Lord. Okay, what's the next thing? So next thing you know, pfft, song's out. You're like, where did that come from? Right? Every legitimate discovery made throughout my own explorations of the mysteries of this world was not something I created or manufactured. It was given. I cannot take credit for these gifts. God did all that. That's why I've said for years and years and years and years and years, since day one, that's not the Marty Leeds, that's not the Marty Leeds cipher. That's not the, that's the, this is a biblical cipher. This is a septenary cipher. This is a, whatever you want to call it, a transcendental cipher, right? The pi cipher, all of those are fine. It's not mine. And when that, when I, when I received that, it was just like, it was like two minutes. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? When I did chess, chess, the game of chess encodes two lunar, a uh, solar, two lunar calendars, a solar calendar, as well as multiple ways of encoding pi. It encodes the basics for the, the math surrounding squaring the circle. It encodes the triangulation of the number seven, which is found on your hands. It encodes this whole mess of stuff. And w when I did that, I remember it was just like writing a good song. It was like one of those moments where I was just like, oh, okay, here, and then what's that, and there? And then it was just like, next thing you know, I was like, whoa. And everything I just did is 100% verifiable. Where did it come from? It's 1008, speaking of squaring the circle. Jennifer? Um, where did that come from? Otherworldly, metaphysical, okay? So um, Kabbalah leads the initiate to recognize and verify through the, principle, the principles of science, the divine in all things. It is not enough that man merely accepts God and seeks to commune with him. Lots of people would be like, yeah, I believe in God, that's it. And they think that's it. No, that's not how it works. It is not enough that man merely accepts God and seeks to commune with him. Man must be born again to enter into the kingdom, and this process of being born again is a spiritual change that happens within man. God chooses when you're reborn, not you. 
nor a church, nor a preacher, nor a pastor. I don't get to choose when you're reborn. Though if you go to most churches, like I said, 99.7% of churches across the land, what are they going to tell you? Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I dipped you under some water in a baptism and then I, I raised you up and now you're reborn. That's not how it works. Okay? Being reborn is a spiritual change which allows man to see with new eyes, a new heart, with a more purified mind and soul. This rebirth gives him the ability to see God manifest his powers everywhere around him, as above, so below, so within, so without. How it's a, The other thing it is, is um, I don't want to get off track here, but Gnosis is an em, embracing nature, the natural laws of, of this creation. And how many people, Christians, be like, oh, nature, you know, it's like they look at it as antithetical or something, right? We're not worshiping nature. You're worshiping the metaphysical, the once again, the transcendental truths that come from it. Kabbalah is the science behind the rebirth process. The Kabbalist is not satisfied with the mere belief in God. He seeks to know God, communing with God, proving his mighty works and everything around him. Kabbalah is this pursuit. The essence of divinity is found in every single thing, nothing but it exists it exists in each existent. Moses Cordovero. So the Kabbalist, the Gnostic, right? The mystic, somebody will come along and say, hey, two plus two equals four. And the Gnostic says, nope. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. I don't know. But I'm not going to agree with that until I can prove it myself. So somebody will come along and be like, this is what these biblical stories mean. There was a big boat, and he literally this dude who was uh, drunk. His name was Noah. He lived to six hundred years, and he got all of these people two by two by two, or all these excuse me, all these animals two by two, or seven by seven, or whatever it is, to get aboard the boat, and, and that's that's actually what it what it is. And it, the Gnostic says, "Well, that's really that's it. You mean I'm just supposed to accept that? No." So the Gnostic says, two plus two equals four. Okay, I'll accept that when I prove it." This is the difference between a theorem and a theory. Most people have biblical theories. That's what they have. They have interpretations. They have, this is what I think it means. That's not what God wants you to do. God doesn't want you to like humdrum all day long and, and you know, wild, you know, squirrely revelations and wild prophecy and your, you know, meanderings of your imagination and what this stuff means. That's not, God doesn't work on theories. God works on theorems. What's the difference between a theory and a theorem? Well, we have the uh, all these theories in the world, right? Like the gravita the theory of gravity, right? Is it true? No, it's a theory. The theory of evolution. Darwinian theory of evolution. What else do we have? We have germ theory. We don't want your theories. Critical race theory. No, I want a theorem. I want provability. A theorem is a general proposition, not self-evident, but proved by a chain of reasoning, a truth established by means of accepted truths. A theory is a supposition of a, of a system of ideas. These churches, when they read their Bible, they're theorists. I have a theory that this happened 2,000 years ago. Who cares about your theory? Okay. Um, we want to know. This is Robert Frost, right? We dance round in a ring and suppose, but the secret sits in the middle and knows.
We dance around in a ring. There's the big circle, the big, you know, the big embracement, the totality of God, the oneness of God. And so many people are dancer, dancing around it, supposing, theorizing, concocting ideas in their head. But the secret, the occult, the true message sits in the middle and knows through gnosis. So let's talk about this, uh, this idea of two things that are usually shellacked, like I say, sort of grafted on, thrown onto Gnosticism, and that's this idea of the demiurge, okay, and um, uh, matter is evil, okay? First thing I want to say is um, that's not necessarily what Gnostics believe. Yes, Gnostics in the past have embraced those ideas. I'm not saying that. But it's not like because you're a Gnostic or you or you pursue Gnosis that all of a sudden, like I said, you get this little book of doctrines and dogma and apparently, oh, what do we read? Oh, okay, matter's evil and we believe in a demiurge. That's not how it works. Though, once again, if you go and ask 99.87% of those churches or even people online that are alleged truth seekers, that's the kind of stuff that they'll spit out, okay? Um, and this is what you'll, you'll read. Gnosticism is a prominent uh, heretical movement, right? Which is already, they're already like, you know, admonishing it. It's like, oh, it's heresy, right? Is is this heresy? Let me ask you. Sorry, this is going to be a long one. Is this heresy? When Jesus said, is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, and then we define gnosis as knowledge of spiritual mysteries? How is that heretical? How is that antithetical to Christian Christianity, to Christ's doctrine, to his message? Gnostic doctrine taught that the world, oh, sorry, sorry, I'll read this again. A prominent heretical movement of the second century Christian church, as if once again, we have to trust two grand worth of history? I don't, and you shouldn't. Um, the Christian church, partly a pre-Christian origin. Once again, we talk about pre-Christian, they're just talking about transcendental truths, things that have been with us since the very beginning. Gnostic doctrine taught that the world, which by the way, Christ was with us in the beginning. The Bible talks about that too, so there's that, but... Gnostic doctrine taught that the world was created and ruled by a lesser divinity. And this is this idea of the demiurge, and we'll get into this, okay? And that Christ, which by the way, um, sorry, I keep stopping myself, but out of the 12 years that I've been online, has anyone ever heard me talk about me worshiping the demiurge? Have I even brought it up once? Yet I'm a Gnostic. So I guess what they're saying here is not true, right? Or at least we'll, we'll explain this, okay? What's happening here is that, once again, people are looking at something exoterically that's actually esoteric. There's esoteric notions. There's deeper levels of meaning. And people look at this literally. They look at this surface level. And then they come to the conclusion, that's devil worship. And that's the problem. By the way, their own tradition is saying, don't do that. Let me read this again. Gnostic doctrine taught that the world was created and ruled by a lesser divinity, the Demiurge, and that Christ was an emissary of the remote supreme divine being. Esoteric knowledge, Gnosis, of whom enabled the redemption of the human spirit. Okay? So we have this notion, let's talk about the Demiurge, right? The Demiurge is this idea, which once again, I've never talked about. I don't think I've ever even, I might have brought it up in passing or something like that, but I've never done a video on this. I don't worship it. I don't, anything like that. What, what you actually see happening here is once again, I'm going to repeat this. It's an esoteric idea that exotericists lose their mind about. Okay. Um, Demiurge is a being responsible for the creation of the universe. That's one explanation of it. Okay. Well, you could just call the Demiurge God at that point. 
That's the definition of it, of being responsible for the creation of the universe, period. That's what it says. Okay, well, if you just read that and you gave it to anybody and you said, you didn't say it was Demiurge. You just went up to any Christian and said, hey, um, give me a name for that uh, of being responsible for the creation of the universe. Like God, Jehovah, whatever, right? You get that sort of thing. If you were Islamic or whatever, you'd be like Muhammad or whatever it is, right? You get the point. In Platonic philosophy, it's the maker or creator of the world. Okay, so I guess there's no issue here, right? Do you mean to tell me that's just another name for, okay, once again, we'll get into the esoteric idea of this. In Gnosticism and other theological systems, this is once again this notion that a heavenly being subordinate to the supreme being that is considered to be the controller of the material world and antagonistic to all that is purely spiritual. In other words, there's this idea that this being was born that sort of creates evil, right? That creates the the um, antagonistic uh, antagonism towards good. We'll say that, okay? So... Uh, and this is, it goes on to say, these various groups, once again, there's not like some umbrella doctrine, dogma that the Gnostics all believe, okay? So, and people, when people say that, it shows they really don't understand Gnosticism. These various groups emphasize personal spiritual knowledge, Gnosis, above the orthodox teachings, traditions, and authority of religious institutions. Amen. Amen. Once again, this is no different than when we go back here and we say, Okay, well, I don't follow the orthodox teachings, traditions, and authority of religious institutions. Now, does that mean we reject all of them? No. As we said, when you actually look, Gnostics embrace all the great traditions. So it's not necessarily a rejection of orthodox teachings or traditions and stuff like that. It's saying, I don't go to them as my authority. Gnostics go to God as their authority because guess who God is? He is the person that ought, the person, the being, whatever you want to say, the transcendental truth, whatever you want to say, that authored you. So Gnostics don't go to an intermediary to be like, hey, please explain this to me, sir. No, a Gnostic is autodidactic and says, I'm going to figure it out myself. That takes fortitude. It takes strength. It takes some balls. Okay. It's, it, it, you will also find out how many preach, how many preachers or ministers do you, do you know that say balls in their sermon? Let's just be honest, okay? So, um, it's not that it's not a rejection of these traditions. It's not a rejection of of, of orthodox teachings. It's saying I, that is not my that is not my authority, okay? God is my authority. When you don't embrace this, this is what you get. You get this. You get these chumps. People that are so full of nonsense and gar. I mean, just heads full of garbage leading people completely astray, okay? So a Gnostic is going to be like, well, maybe that guy has something good to say here and there. I'll listen and I'll, you know, chew the, chew the meat, spit out the bone. If you're a vegetarian, you chew the, chew the fruit, sit out, you know, spit out the seed, if you will, right? Might have some good thing to say here and there and there. there. I'm not going to him for my understanding or him or him or him or him or the guy down in fifth in Vermouth. I want to know. Okay, so these various groups emphasize personal spiritual knowledge, a direct connection with God over religious authorities, <laughs> you know, viewing material existence as flawed or evil. Once again, another exoteric notion 
that, or excuse me, another esoteric notion that when understood exoterically, people are like, oh, you think matter's evil? Like if I'm going to go here, it's like, oh yeah, the, the, the being of Benjamin Balderson here, your material body is evil, cat links. You're like, it's, it's ridiculous. No, what is being said here is that the notion that you have these dualities and ultimately the dualities have to be, be merged into one. So if you have spirit, that would be good. What would matter be then? evil okay it's a notion that you have those eternal opposites man woman good evil just like in the genesis story you hear all these people that say it's like this sort of like um you know that ad or adam and eve and they were in the garden then eve ate from the tree okay so you have adam being the good guy and then eve is obviously you know she did the evil thing so i guess women are bad and men are good you know, this is this absolutely childish way of looking at this stuff. So when somebody comes along as Gnostics view, matter is evil. No, the material world is where evil is allowed to exist. Okay? Upstairs in heaven, in the wholeness of God, there is no separation. There is no good and evil. There's just God all day long. Okay? Once again, an esoteric idea that when understood exoterically looks, you know, like, well, what do, you do they think everything's evil down here? Obviously not, okay? Gnostics considered the principal element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the supreme divinity in the form of mystical or esoteric insight, okay? Same thing. Uh, where am I? Oh my God, I lost myself. Oh, okay. So the main fault in understanding Gnosticism is the lack of understanding of the esoteric and the exoteric. Um, you know, the doctrine was everywhere held by the chiefs of Gnosticism. This was that the visible creation was not the work of a supreme deity, but of the demiurgis. Demiurge, a simple emanation and several degrees removed from the Godhead, the unknown, to the latter indeed, styled by them the unknown father. They attributed the creation of the intellectual world, the eons and the angels, while they made the creation of the world of matter as the work of the demiurgos. Okay. So um, once, let's just define esoteric and exoteric quick, and then I'll give you an explanation of what the esoteric meaning of that is, okay? Once again, viewing it literally, it's just like, what, they believe in this thing other than God? And No, not at all. Gnostic under, understands oneness. There is only one God, monotheism. Esoteric is intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialized knowledge or interest. Okay, the exoteric is intended for or likely to be understood by the general public. This is exactly, once again, when we go back to our fourfold patristic approach, this is exactly what we're talking about here. The exoteric is that literal. It's just the simple story that most people are fed. The public is fed. And they're like, this is what it means. Right? And the esoteric is saying, oh, Lord, there's a lot of layers to that onion. Okay, metaphysical truths arcane wisdom, knowledge of the divine, okay? So when we hear this idea of the demiurge, people are like, oh, they believe in this thing that's other than God and it's created the world evilly. No, no, no. That's, this is from Godfrey Higgins, and this should give you a better understanding of the esoteric notion behind what the demiurge is, which, by the way, once again, have I ever talked about this at all? No, right? Because I'm, I'm explaining things in a, always in the esoteric notion. So anyway, Godfrey Higgins, this comes from Anacalypsis, an attempt to draw aside the veil of the uh, satiac Isis, I think is how you say that. There's this two volumes of books. They're fat. A lot of good information in these books. Some crap, too, you know, as you will have. But this is what Mr. Uh, Higgins says here. He says, all things are derived by emanation from one principle, and this principle is God, period, full stop. 
It's not like, well, there's this thing here, and then there's this other thing here called a demiurge. No. All things are derived by emanation from one principle, and this principle is God. Period. Full stop. From him, a substantiated power immediately proceeds, which is the image of God. And the source of all subsequent emanations. Okay? So, the reason that we have to have this second emanation, this, the, 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 basically what you have is God was the wholeness, right? And then you have this separation, or at least perceived, right, illusion of separation that comes from this one source. And there's subsequent emanations. The reason it has to be this subsequent emanations from this is because we can't know the, the eternality and totality and universality of God. Because if we could know it, we would automatically be sucked up into its, its greater whole. We can't stand outside God and be like, oh, God, this is what you look like. Oh, nice curves. Doesn't work that way. Okay? So everything is these subsequent emanations. This is where Kabbalah comes in. What do you think the ten emanations of God are talking about? They're talking about a science behind this idea. Okay? Let's read it again. All things are derived by emanation from one principle, and this principle is God. From him, a substantiated power immediately proceeds, which is the image of God. God. God made man in his own image, and the image of God created him. It's imagination. That's where that root of the word comes from, by the way. And the source of all subsequent emanations. The second principle sends forth by energy of emanation other natures, which are more or less perfect according to their different degrees of distance in the scale of emanation from the first source of existence. So you have this first source of existence, and then you have the falling away from this first source. And the, the, the subsequent falling away, emanating out, is what, what, what are we talking about here? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We've, the, the, we fall, we've fallen from this metaphysical, spiritual place, and then we're falling into dense material materiality. And this is emanations from that first source. Okay? This first source of existence in which constitutes different worlds or orders of being, all united to the eternal power from which they proceed. Matter, the material world earth down here, is nothing more than the most remote effect of the emanative energy of the deity. So this matter, in this sense, because we're so, you know, once again, in perception and the illusion, that sort of thing, separate, you know, separated from God. Um, what was this saying? A remote effect is nothing, you know, this is where evil comes from. And so when we say, oh, Gnostics view matter as evil, this is a deeply esoteric idea, or esoteric, well, losing my train of thought here. This is a deep esoteric uh, notion that is explaining literally how the world is created and how you can actually come to understand that world as God put it onto two, two hands here and onto two feet, emanations. So matter is nothing more than the most remote effect from this purity. Okay, the emanative energy of the deity. The material world receives its form from the immediate agency of powers far beneath the first source of being. Evil is a necessary effect of the imperfection of matter. So when we say matter is evil, it's not saying, oh, matter is evil, stay away from everybody here or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. It's just basically saying that this is the place in which evil can exist because up in that first source doesn't exist because it's wholeness, it's oneness. Human souls are distant emanations from deity, and after they, are, after they are liberated from their material vehicles through gnosis, will return through various stages of purification to the fountain whence they first proceeded. Okay? So we have this idea of the unknowable God. You can't, you can't know 
total unity. You can't know that perfection of unity and totality here because, once again, you can't stand outside to look at it, okay? You can't do that. To, oh, to actually know God, to, in, in this sense, would be to go whoop, merge right with it, okay? The Bible even talks about this. When, once again, when you read this esoterically and realize there's anagogical you know, uh, truths here, forget what this is. Oh, I don't know which verse this is, but it says, um, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, these are the evils, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not of the Father. Well, who is it from then? Who is it from? If it's not of the Father, who is it from? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father? So is it from the Demiurge? What are you saying, Holy Bibble? But is of the world. That's because this is where evil makes its... This is the playground of evil. It's the playground of good and evil, of course. And that's, and of course, as we, as we see, evil is a necessary, what did he say here? Evil is um, a necessary effect of the imperfection of matter. We are cast down into imperfection to find the perfection, to find the logos, to find the order. Okay? And the world passeth away. It's corruptible. God is incorruptible. God is eternal. Here it's temporal, temporary. Okay? Notice, uh, tempo means time. Okay, so the tempo, rate, tempo, uh, temptation, tempted into time. Look at those words, okay? Um, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Once again, you're in, in that imperfection. When you're on the way, the truth, and the life, and you find that perfection, then you're abiding with God forever because God's like, oh, you understand oneness. You understand that there is, there is only this truth, Okay. Uh, once again, teaching that the, the this idea that Gnostics teaching that the world, the material world is the imperfect creation of a subordinate power. Okay, once again, esoteric language to help you understand the emanations of falling away from perfection, um, and the unknowable divine being. Once again, you can't know it because if you knew it, you'd be sucked up into its greater. You'd be immediately magnetized or you know brought into its greater wholeness. And the soul can transcend material existence by means of esoteric knowledge, which is exactly Literally, word for word, word for word, what Christ was saying. There's another mathematical analogy we can take to this unknowableness, right? And you say, what's what's pi is known as a transcendental number. We deal with pi a little bit on this channel here. So pi is a transcendental number, okay? And let me before I get on to this, let me just stop here. I know we're going we're going long today. I really wanted to cover this because lots of people have all these questions about Gnosticism. So 136 watching. Thank you so much. I want to make sure I didn't miss any. Um, miss any super chats here or anything like that? Or da, 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 da. okay. Thank you all for joining me today. I appreciate it. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the devil's playground. Yeah. Yeah, we need. This is what Earth is for. We need those obstacles. You need something to push against you so that you will have, you know, this the, the, to go through the obstacle course of life to get to the end. You need the evil. You need the imperfection. You need the, you know, antagonism, right? You need the pain. You need the suffering. That's, that's just what happens down here, okay? So let's make a mathematical anal analogy to this unknowable being, right? So pi is a transcendental number. 
It's an infinite and transcendental number. And it's 3.141592653589793238466. Blah, 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 blah. Just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. We've, ne you know, you can't, just goes on. And I think they've calculated, I don't know how many billion digits of pi thus far or whatever, right? This is a mathematical metaphor here is the most important word I'm going to use, metaphor. So pi is this essentially transcendental number. It's actually unknowable, right? You can't actually know pi because it's this endless number that goes infinitely to the very end. So you could say, well, what's pi, right? Well, it's 3.141592653589. No, it's not. Because it's actually 3.141592653589, blah, 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 blah. Right? And you say, well, no, it's actually not that because it's actually 3.141592653589793. And it just goes and 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 it's infinite and never stops, and you'll never see the tail end of it, which means we're never actually using the true number of pi every time we use pi down here. Every single time. This is something I've talked about infinite, you know, I don't know how many times, that we always have to use an abbreviation and an approximation of pi, whether that's 3.14, 3.142. 3.141, 3.1415, doesn't matter. At some point, we have to approximate, we have to cut off, we have to abbreviate that number, which means we're not actually, in the sense, if we want to say, in a mathematical metaphor, if God is pi, we can never know him here. We can get dang close, right? But we can't actually know pi. And this is a perfect metaphor for the unknowableness of God, Okay? Okay. Um, I think hopefully that makes sense. The, down here is the corruptible, and we seek the incorruptible. Down here is the temporal, we're tempted, tempted temptation into the tempo, the rate of time, into the temporal existence, and we seek eternality and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Okay. We, we're seeking the, uncorrupt, the incorruptible, the uncorruptible God. Made an image, made like to the corruptible man, right? Once again, we seek the eternal. Um, every man striveth for the, mist, for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible, so they, these people, they seek their power and prestige and, you know, all the ego placation, all this other stuff down here so they could be the special boy. But we don't seek that. We seek the crown of incorruptibility. For the corruptible must be put on incorruption and this mortal must be put on immortality. You see what's happening here. Mortal, immortal, corruptible, incorruptible. Okay. Uh, lots lots of these things. And then it goes on here. This is 1 Peter 1.18. Listen to this. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, you're not redeemed with the corruptible things if you embrace the corruptible things. Okay? Things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Why don't Gnostics... What, once again, we don't uh, negate or reject all the traditions. We just don't go to them as our authority. Why? Because the Bible tells us not to. <laughs> it says, "Oh, you're listening. You're 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 in this this vain world, and you're you're seeking silver and gold, right? Think about alchemy, right? Alchemy ultimately, when you get down to it, is spiritual is a spiritual pursuit." 
if you see, and it, it's the it's the core aspect of alchemy. They say turn lead into gold, right? Well, if you're actually seeking gold, like physical gold, you will forever be put off the course of alchemy. The gold that you're seeking is is spiritual knowledge, spiritual gold. If you're, I'm sorry, did I say that incorrectly? I think I did. If you're an alchemist and you're seeking physical gold so that you can be rich, right? You'll forever be knocked off the course because that's not what alchemy is about, okay? So um, that's the vein. That's the vainness of alchemy, if you will. So they're saying, oh, you received all this tradition from your fathers. Gnostics don't follow those traditions. Because why? Because the Bible says not to. Because then you end up with these schmucks. Let's look at these schmucks again. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? Let's do it. <sighs> these guys. These tall drinks of water. Okay. So, and life is a mystery. And that's what Gnostics do. They pursue the mystery. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given unto you. Knowledge of those mysteries have been given unto you. Um, you know, uh, Romans 11.25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. <laughs> that sounds so funny. Um, uh, wise in your own conceits. I've got it. I know what this stuff means. I don't need to tell you, but it's like, well, then you then you'll go and ask some of these Christians some basic questions about their book, and they'll be like, you know, you must be a devil worshiper. Conceited, vain, rejecting everything that Christ taught, everything. Now to him that is power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret since the world began. We already said that one, but we speak. The wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world, before the world was even begun, before he said anything, before there was emanations of light, or he was even concocting the ideas of, I'm going to separate this thing into heaven and earth and spirit and matter. Before all of that, before any of it began, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, of God, were created, were there. Okay? Tons of mysteries. Ephesians 3, 4, whereby ye read, we may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Gnosis. It's Gnosis defined. How that by revelation, epiphany, moment of clarity, aha moment, he made known unto me. He made it. He, he allowed it. The mystery Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Okay? And, oh, this, this one's good. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Hid. Occulted. Occulted. Who created all things by Jesus Christ. Totality. Oneness. What do you think all things is, right? So I don't know how anyone can read these lines and then read like the definition of gnosis and reject any of this stuff. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Neither shall they say, lo here, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. We don't go to men 
say, oh, you got the answer. You're going to tell it to me. Where do you go? Where do you go? We dance around in a ring and suppose. But the secret sits in the middle, in the center, and gnosis. We dance round in a ring and suppose. But the secret sits in the middle and knows. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God, the most spiritual place, is within you. So these literalists and all of these different denominations, they're all going, it's not there and it's not there. Lo and behold, oh, that person, that, that religion doesn't have Christ and they don't have Christ and they're all going to hell and not there. you got to be in this church and then you'll be saved. Completely full of nonsense. Luke 17, 21. Neither shall they say, lo here, lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's once again saying, yes, 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 yes. Not, no, no, no. Mystery just happens to be um, very close to my story. You know? So when I was saying, like, I wasn't pursuing this stuff, ultimately I wanted to know what does this have to do with me? And I wasn't doing that through er for arrogance. I wasn't doing that for conceit and ego. It wasn't, it wasn't doing it because, like, you know, I wanted to be some special boy. You know, I wasn't, this wasn't being self-centered. It was centering the self, right? You're, the mystery ultimately leads to my story. God wants you to know what that story is. They want you to, he wants you to know his story, right? The mystery is my story. Mystery, do a little English gematria here. Cipher right there, right there. M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y is one, two, six, seven, five, five, two, and this equals 28, Okay, this equals 28. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and 14 times 2 is 28. The mystery will lead right to the center of you because behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And O oh man, gnosis thyself. <laughs> Oh man, this is the Delphic Oracle. This is, you know, it's been attributed to Pythagoras, the Delphic Oracle, a bunch of different things. I think St. Augustine maybe allegedly said it or whatever, who knows. But um, man, know thyself and you shall know the universe and the gods. Man, know thyself. Man, image of God, gnosis. Have that knowledge, right? Seek that knowledge and you shall know the universe and the gods. Okay. The, the true Gnostic realizes that you are the temple of God, okay? That's where you worship. Once again, nothing wrong with going down to the church at Fifth and Vermouth. Nothing wrong with going down to that church and praying with those people. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's, and I understand the absolute necessity in a communal sense of the church. Absolutely a necessity for so many people. Like I said, me, not so much. But um, absolutely understand the necessity of the church. But that's not where you worship, that's not where you worship. You worship in that, and that's the human body. And that's what the Gnostic understands. <clears throat> For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Matthew 6, 21 says. The light of the body is, thy, is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. 
these are internal processes. It's saying go within. There's all these verses that also that, that Christ admonishes, right? Admonishes people that are like these 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 uh, Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and all this other stuff. They're saying, oh well, you prevented the people from going within. Not only did you not go in yourself, you prevented the people from going in. Highly mystical notions. Um, Luke eleven thirty nine. Read this one. And the Lord said unto him. Now do ye Pharisees make clean outside of the cup the externalities. Ye made all nice and shiny and clean, shackled with shekels, right? Uh, the cup of the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Listen to this. This is red letter edition. This is Christ saying this. This is Christ telling you about as above, so below, so within, so without. Central uh, philosophical notion within Hermeticism and the Bible. Says it in the Matthew um, Matthew six the Lord's prayer. Ye fools, did not ye that made that which is without make that which is within also? As above, so below, so within, so without. Devil worship. What? Ask any Christian. That's what they're going to tell you. There's Christ telling you itself. He's like, hey, fools. Did not he that made that which is within you make that which is without also? When you recognize it within, when you seek it within, when you they dance around the ring and suppose, but when you get to that center, then you know, then you gnosis. And when you know and you see it, then you can go out into the world and see God everywhere. This is, I know this is sort of cliche, but... This is a William Blake's Auguries of Innocence, and it says this is exact. This is mysticism. This is what mysticism is. It's it's seeing the living God and the presence of God within all things and being able to see it. Okay. To see a world in a grain of sand, the entirety of the universe. I'll say this: I did this video called uh, "The Universe in a Nutshell." I think it's I think it's on NasticAcademy.org. But it was, you know, when I was undergoing a lot of this stuff, I was just walking in the woods in the back of my house in Albany. I was writing my book and stuff like that. And I looked down and I saw this this acorn. And I picked it up and I was like, that's an expression of the entire universe. And I ended up doing a video on it, right? Because this is a mystical insight. This is saying, well, well, you know, God's here. Okay? To see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. A robin red breast in a cage puts all heaven in a rage. What is he what is that saying there? When there's a there's a robin that's in a cage that's being, you know, imprisoned and that sort of stuff, heaven it ripples within the heavens above, as above, so below. A dove house filled with doves and pigeons shudders hell throughout all the regions. A dog starved at the master's gates predicts the ruins of the state. This thing right here, when the dog is being starved in the master's gate, when we're not seeking that perfection and all that sort of stuff in the world, oh, that's that's reflecting in the destruction of everything. Okay? This is the end of Augury's of Innocence, though. Most people don't, you know, they don't know this end, which is really, really awesome. Every night and every morn, some to misery are born. Every morn and every night, some are born to sweet delight. Some are born to sweet delight. Some are born to endless night. We are led to believe a lie when we see not through the eye, 
Thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. When we do not seek within, we dance around the ring and suppose. But we want to know. Which was born into a night to perish in a night. When the soul slept in beams of light, God appears, and God is light. To those poor souls who dwell in night, but does a human form display to those dwell in realms of day. The beginning of my new book, Lord Jesus Christ, is, it says this. The first time I saw Jesus was on a trillium flower. The first time I saw Jesus was on a trillium flower. True story. Now, I'd seen images of Jesus my entire life, right? People believe it's like, oh, hey, go to church and this guy on a cross and stuff like that. And people think that's what Christ is. Like, there he is. He's got the, he's on the cross and this, you know, and somebody's poking him with the side and stuff like that and blah, 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 right? A mystic is saying, no, Christ is all things and everywhere. So therefore, I should be able to see Christ everywhere. So I open this book and I say, the first thing I say is this. The first time I saw Jesus was on a trillium flower. True story. And that sounds like a bunch of poetic, philosophical nonsense, except I actually bring mathematics to that. Okay? Because it's like, no, Christ is there. You mean, you mean to tell me God's not there? Well, what is that made of? Not God? <laughs> All things are made by him. John 1, 3, something like that. I always butcher that one. Anyway. So, Gnosis, um, just so you guys know, in the original Hebrew, um, in the original Torah, I, I, I think most of you probably know this, that um, it's written without vowels, okay? Ooh, $10, what do we got here? Oh, Pete Aldez, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, in the original Hebrew, the uh, original Hebrew Bible, micro and macro as opposed to plural. The original Hebrew Bible um, was written without vowels, okay? So, and there's there's tons and tons of reasons why they did this. Number one, it's to train your mind, to actually put things back and to see patterns. There's, I, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, actually, because there's a ton of reasons why they do this sort of stuff. It's to show you that things are encrypted in there. It's, um, it's to tell you about the difference between consonants and vowels and how important those things are. It's essentially the odd and even of languages. That's essentially what it is. When you look at mathematics as a language, you have odd and even numbers or primes and non-primes is another way you could look at this. Vowels and consonants are the same sort of thing. So in the original Torah, they actually, they don't have the vowels in there. So they just have consonants, right? And so we can do this with our own language, and, and, and I've done this many, many times, and it reveals all sorts of things. But the first book of the, the Old Testament is called Genesis, okay? It's called Genesis, as we all know. Well, when you remove the vowels of Genesis, do you know what you get? Gnosis. When you remove the vowels of Genesis and you remove the vowels of Gnosis, you get the exact same letters. So the first thing that Genesis is trying to tell you about when you understand that there's an encryption there, when you understand that there's layers, when you understand that there's anagogical truths, when you understand that this is esoteric, when you understand that there's deeper meanings there, when you understand that there's a reason that they didn't put vowels in there, but there's a reason that there's vowels and consonants. When you understand all that stuff and you embrace those things and you study them, and you're ready to receive, then God's going to open the door and be like, hey, guess what, man? The first thing you come to in Genesis is Gnosis.
and we like to deal with pi a lot in this channel. Good old transcendental number, right? Uh, no, why is no spelled with a K in English? Most people will look at this and they'll see, this, this, is, this is why our language is so botched. It's so full of wizardry and trickery and stuff like that. And it's all a devilish language and blah, 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 blah. It's all cobbled together. doesn't make any sense, right? No, there's reasons that, that our language is constructed in the way it is. Why is no spelled with a K? doesn't make any sense. Canal, what? Well, it's because they're actually encoding deeper metaphysical truths. No is K-N-O-W is three, one, two, four. Remove the vowel of O in there. What do you have? K-N-K-N-W, what would it be? Would it be three, one, four? Three, one, two, four is a numeric permutation or anagram for pi. 3.142, same numbers, okay? Remove the vowel of no. What is no? Snosis. It's the same same thing. So if you want to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, you got to employ gnosis. Okay? So, um, and that's why in Genesis, in, uh, in gnosis, in Genesis, in gnosis, <laughs> Well, the world, the entire universe was our, our construction. The cosmos here was created in how many days? Seven. And seven in English commentary is six, five, 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 one. And that equals 22. And 22 divided by seven is gnosis. So I think that's going to do. I think that's going to do it. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Uh, 99, 9.99 from the Rebel Preacher. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks again, Marty and Jen. Small Axe, thank you so much. Ooh, Gnostic Revelation Mysteries, $10. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, speaking of Gnostic Revelation Mysteries, there will be another teaching and preaching over at Gnostic Revelation Mysteries on the YouTubes there. YouTubings. Head on over. Uh, he's already got it uploaded. He does this every Sunday. So I do my thing. He does his. And so if you want some, you know, more information about this stuff, head on over there. Uh, Gnostic Sunday School, Awaken to Righteousness. So this one's called Biblical Non-Duality. Actually, exactly what we're talking about today, right? Oneness. Awake, awake to righteousness. Okay? Understanding that there is only one truth. One God. Monotheism. Okay? Um, so if you'd like to become a member, you can become a member for five bucks a month, 14 quarterly or 54 for the year for $5 a month. You can get my entire life's work is what it is. So, uh, I keep it cheap because I'd like to just get as many people in there as possible. You know, if you can't afford it or whatever, or the, the, no big deal, whatever, you can still be part of the church. You certainly don't need to give me any money, but I do appreciate your support because it keeps this train, uh, rocking and a rolling. Okay. So I appreciate that. Um, and next week, I think we're going to do, I want to do, um, like I said, one called like Teach Your Children Well or Transcendental Truths. Basically, what to teach your children. These things when they come in here so that they know where they are. They know what they're supposed to be doing here. They know why it's so important to, you know, to pursue Gnosis, that sort of stuff. Um, so that's what I'm working on. But I think the next one we're going to do next week is Compasses and Square. And we'll talk about, once again, heaven and earth, spirit and matter, um, unification of opposites. 
We'll talk about the math behind the compasses and square, why the masons use the compasses and square, its tools of architecture and geometry and carpentry. Car car carpentry. So we'll talk about that. We'll also look at the astronomical connections to the compasses and square. So I think that's what we're going to do next week because I've, I've started getting that together and it's going to be tasty. It's going to be a delicious, yummy treat. So, okay, that's going to do it for me. All right, guys and gals, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you all for uh, sticking around for two hours today. I knew this was going to take a while and I wanted to, um, I just really wanted to hit on all the things because there's so, like I said, so many people that have faulty ideas and misconceptions and, you know, misconstruing what this stuff means, right? And it prevents them from understanding the Bible. And what we're going to try to do is do a little repair on that, try to fix that a little bit, right? To the people that are ready to hear, okay? For those that have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and are ready to hear it, okay? So um, tithing is important, Jacob Law says. I appreciate it. If you can't do it though, whatever. It's totally fine. Um, it's totally fine. I'm going to do this as long as I can. So, all right, that's going to do it for me. Guys, thank you so much. I will see you uh, next Sunday, okay? As always, many blessings and much love to all.